Hey, this is Melissa Green, and you are listening to Grace Point Church's podcast. Our vision statement at Grace Point is loving God, loving self, and loving others. If you want to find out more, visit gracepoint.net. So twice a year as a church, we have days of rededication. One of them is Easter. Perennially, the church for the last 16, 1700 years, we have treated, and there's argument that maybe even back to the earliest days of the church 2,000 years ago, we have treated Easter like a time of rededication. When we reaffirm our baptism, and by reaffirm our baptism, I mean we come back to the idea of why we are baptized Christians, why we are followers of Christ, and if we are not one of those to be baptized, as the church did in the earliest days on Easter, Many times the church would hold their baptisms all year long for that special day. Well, if we're not one of those, then we are, we are behind them, under them, around them, reaffirming our own commitment to Christ. A second day of rededication in the life of the church, I think, every year is at First Communion when we bring the innocent and the tender among us and they receive the Lord's Supper for the first time. I can think of no more special day for all of us to reconsider and revisit exactly what they just did. To remember Paul's words to the Galatians, who's removed you from the simplicity of Christ? And to remember that somewhere in the Bible it says that everything we ever needed to know we learned in kindergarten, right? It says it in there somewhere. Is that Proverbs? Where was that? Anyway, it's in there. Or at least the gist of it is in there. Jesus said, except you become as a little child, you won't see the kingdom. So when we watch our children take the Lord's Supper, We remember again the Lord looking at us saying, can you drink this cup? And we understand that that even as they, we cannot fully mine the wealth and the, the brilliance, the beauty. We cannot plumb the depths of that cup. We'll spend the rest of our life doing that. But today is a good day to rededicate ourselves to that cup. I think to do that each year, there's a passage from the Apostle Paul that I love to read. I love to rehearse, and I'm sure that new, new components of this passage will unfold each year, but as a part of our liturgy, as a part of our yearly lectionary here, uh, every year at First Communion, I like to read this text, and I like us to go back again to that touch point, that, that baseline of what communion is about. So I want to read through it with you very quickly, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. 1 Corinthians 11 is the text, and we'll start reading with verse 17. Paul says, now in the following instructions, I don't commend you. The first part of the chapter, he was instructing them on a matter that he could commend them on. He explained to them that they were doing some things well. Paul's letter to the Corinthians that we know as 1 Corinthians is actually a responsive letter written in response to questions that they had sent him earlier. In the 17th verse, he said, I've talked to you about all the things that you've asked me, and I've commended you where I could commend you. But I have something that you didn't write to me about, but I need to write to you about. And in the following instructions, I don't commend you. I have nothing good to say. Because when you come together for church, what we call church, when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. That is a profound statement. I grew up my whole life believing that if you went to church, it made things better. Grew up my whole life believing you were supposed to go to church. The only way you could do spirituality was to take your individuality and to incorporate it 
periodically from time to time on the Lord's Day and to remember that you're a part of a fellowship, a koinonia, a communion. And so all my life I grew up thinking that going to church made things better, and I think Paul would agree that it is supposed to make things better, but Paul said, sadly, your church attendance is not only not helping you, it's hurting you. Your church attendance, as opposed to reforming what's happening outside, your church attendance is actually conforming to the world and the kingdom about you. When you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Now, he's going to explain. This is an important explanation. The reason it would have been better for you not to come to church, he said. Hearkening back to the words of the prophets. You remember in the Hebrew scriptures, often the prophets would say, God doesn't like your songs. He doesn't like your sacrifices. He doesn't like your readings or your prayers. That was a common refrain amongst the prophets. And it was not the indictment of God against prayers, songs, and readings. Jesus explained when he said the problem is not the words and the songs and the prayers and the sacrifices. The, problem's it, the problem is that you do everything right with your mouth and your hands. But remember, your heart is far from me. You're going through the routine and you have turned something precious and indicative, something that's supposed to point to the good and real, you've turned it into a ritual that is worthless and your hearts are far from me. You live like the devil all week long, he said. You do false scales, you cheat people, and then you come to church and think that a few religious incantations and wavings of spiritual wands is going to fix all of that. Jesus said, when you come to the altar to bring a sacrifice, if you remember that you are disjointed with someone, you have ought against them, they have ought against you. Jesus said, leave your sacrifice. He didn't say don't sacrifice, he said leave your sacrifice, go make things right. Do your best to make things right. Romans 12, Paul said, as much as depends on you, Jesus said, leave your sacrifice, go make things right. And when you've done your best to make things right, Jesus said, come back, God will take your sacrifice. It's not an either or, it's a both and. But there's a priority here, and the priority is the heart. And the reality is one that mature people everywhere understand, and that is that in the most precious areas of life, whether that's familial, spiritual, in any setting of life, you can get into the routine and lose the heart of the matter. And Paul said that's happened to the church at Corinth. Verse 18, for to begin with, that means he has a list. Don't you hate it when somebody says the first thing that I want to say because you know that there's a long list coming. He says, for to begin with, the reason it'd be better for you just to stay home than do church the way you're doing it. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, when you come together as a church, and it sounds like Paul is saying as a facsimile of the church, when you come together ostensibly to do church, it's not to do church. That's where the word ostensible comes from. You're doing it apparently, but the intent is completely different than what is on the surface. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, you're not coming together as a church. 
I hear that there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. He then gets a jab in here at some of the false prophets that are in the church. He said, indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear that who among you are genuine. But the fact of the matter is there are some undue, unreasonable factions here. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, what we have to understand is in the early church, and there are still churches who do this today, but in the early church, their effort to totally capture what Jesus did on that evening with, with his disciples, their effort was pretty extensive. They didn't just take the ceremonial, sacramental little pieces of bread and cups of wine or common cup of wine, but in the early church, they realized that that Last Supper, literally the Eucharist, the elements that were given, came out of a big meal. So in the early church, we know at least at Corinth, they didn't just do the sacramental Lord's Supper, they did something called an agape or a love feast. It was a big potluck. Everybody brought food. And they would eat that food, and then at the end of the meal, they would take the remnants and they would do what we call the Lord's Supper. There are churches who still do that periodically now. Rubel Shelley, one of my mentors in the faith that pastored at Woodmont Family of God up on Franklin Road for years and years, there was a, they, they took a section of several months and actually sat around tables in service and ate together and took the Lord's Supper week after week that way. And they said some profound things happened in that. Well, that's what was happening at Corinth. And in that love feast that they call the Lord's Supper, he said, when you come together, it's really not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, it's to eat, but it's not the Lord's Supper. Four, here's how I know it's not the Lord's Supper. You got all the elements of the Lord's Supper except the heart. For when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry and another becomes drunk. Now, we know what life outside of the church gathering looks like. And we know that Christian people are driven to help those who deserve and need help. But we know with all of that effort, there is still vast inequities in the world. And the Apostle Paul said, the sadness is that some people run into the church seeking the name of the Lord like a strong tower that they can run into and be safe. They leave off with the kingdoms of men and they walk through our doors and they have a level of expectation that they will meet here a level of love and mercy and kindness that they get no other place. But Paul said when people come into what we call a church gathering and you begin to eat the Lord's Supper, what you call the Lord's Supper, Somehow in the economy of the way you're doing it, people rush to eat their food and there are others who have less to bring to the table and they actually end up hungry. And Paul said, how can anybody, we know how people can be hungry in this world, but how could anybody be hungry at a supper called the Lord's. 
And not only is one person hungry, but beside them, another person's drunk. Excess. Gluttonous. Verse 22. What? Exclamation. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Can you not do that at home? Or do you show contempt for the church of God? And how do you show contempt for the church of God? By humiliating those who have nothing. What should I say to you? We have become as the world. Our table looks like the world's table. You show contempt for the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing. What should I say to you? You tell me. Should I commend you? In this matter, I don't commend you. Now, verse 23 is where everybody always starts with this text from Paul when they do the Lord's Supper. You rarely ever hear the first part that I just read to you, read, but that's the context. But here's where we always start, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed 2,000 years later. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns." Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup for all who eat and drink without discerning the body, eat and drink judgment against themselves. What I want to say. The part that we always read, for I give you what I received, the first word of that verse that we always start with is for. Conjunctive. As a fifth grade grammarian, you know that if you start reading and there's a conjunction, you gotta go back for the context. Paul didn't just start by saying, for I gave you what I received from the Lord. Paul set a context and said the Lord's table is where we care for one another there is equanimity and love. And Paul said you are showing contempt for the church by letting people even there be hungry, be humiliated. It's humiliating enough to have nothing. But to be here and have nothing, you humiliate them. And then he says, for I receive from the Lord. And then he concludes by saying, we cannot do the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And Christians for years have been arguing about whether it's got to be grape juice or have alcohol in it. They've been arguing about whether it's got to be unleavened bread or leavened bread, whether it's got to be a common loaf or one loaf, whether you got to dip in the cup or actually drink from a common cup and hope the priest wipes off the person's slobber right before you. We've been arguing over that stuff for years. And theologically, we've been arguing about things called consubstantiation, transubstantiation, memorialism, what happens to the body, what happens to the bread and the wine when it's blessed. And none of that is the argument of Jesus or Paul. 
Paul said the way to do communion right is to discern the Lord's body. And the way to do communion wrong is to not discern the Lord's body. That's the 11th chapter. Do you remember that we are called the body of Christ? You remember that theology, the doctrine of the body of Christ, and you are all the members of the body of Christ? You remember that doctrine? You know where that comes from? 1 Corinthians 12, the next chapter. He concludes by saying you're not discerning the Lord's body, and then he opens the 12th chapter and says if you're unclear about what the Lord's body is, I'm not talking about that metaphysical Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father somewhere. You are the body of Christ. And the person you've humiliated, and the person who's drunk, and the person who's hungry, this is the body of Christ. And he concludes by saying, you are all members of the body of Christ. And Jesus took a cup and a piece of bread, and he said, remember me. Remember me. And Paul said, these are the members of the body of Christ. When you put the members together properly and there are no divisions and nobody's drunk and nobody's hungry, you have remembered Jesus. And for that reason, he stands at judgment and says, I was hungry and you fed me. And we said, where? And he said, as much as you did it to the least of these, you were doing it to me. This is remembering Jesus. The message of the body of Christ is a humanizing message for the people sitting around you. And when you get the people right, you got the body right. For how can you say you love God whom you haven't seen when you don't love those whom you do see. We leave all of our arguments about communion today at the altar, and we make sure that here and everywhere we go, our life is the Lord's table. That's why I told your kids, you're going to put your pretty dress on, you're going to hold the cup just right, you're going to eat the bread just right, but we'll know you get it tomorrow at school when you walk in with your lunch tray and you see the lonely kid and your friends are saying, come over here with us. And you think to yourself, I've been lonely before. That hurts. And you set the tray down. You know what you're setting down to? You're not sitting down to the lunchroom at Clovercroft Elementary. You're sitting down at the Lord's table when you see that hurting one and bring them to your supper. That's the Lord's Supper. And that's the body of Christ that we are called to minister to and remember and put back together today. Our brothers and sisters, if you would tend to the Lord's table, we're going to receive the elements. And just as we told our children, hold the elements. And we're going to take together in just a moment. As you receive these elements, <clears throat> do exactly what I told our children to do. Think about what you're holding in your hands. Think about Jesus saying, this is my body broken for you. To reflect only on the crucified Christ 2,000 years ago 
is to miss the point of what he was trying to say. The crucified one hung on the cross, hurting from injustice, and he hung in solidarity with all humankind. Hold the bread and remember him saying, this is my body broken. Think of the brokenness about you. And hold the cup. We'll hold them together, and then we'll receive in just a moment. Father, open our hearts. Search them now. May we take the body and blood of the Lord in a worthy manner. We remember you now together. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.